invite you to open your Bibles this evening to Psalms, Psalm 28, and I'd like you to also put a finger in 1 Samuel chapter 23, 1 Samuel chapter 23, and we're going to read, in fact, I think I'm going to start in 1 Samuel 23, because I think it helps really get a sense of the context for Psalm 28. As you know, some of the psalms have inscriptions above them that say specifically where David was or what the context was. We don't have that in Psalm 28, but um, in studying this and uh, from other men who've made the case, I believe that uh, it's, it's pretty safe to say that David wrote this uh, in the experience of running from Saul and, and very possibly, if not likely, right here in, in uh, 1 Samuel 23 when he experiences um, just r- routine betrayals and, and a time of great desperation as he's very nearly captured by Saul and he's crying out to the Lord. And so uh, we're going to begin reading verse 1 of chapter 23. Remember, David has his men and they're on the run because Saul and the, the entire army of Israel then is under Saul and they're trying to find and kill David. And so uh, beginning in verse 1, 23, verse Samuel, 1 Samuel 23. Now they told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, had fled to David uh, to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David uh, hiding among us in the strongholds at Horish, on the hill of Hakilah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. 
And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is and who has seen him there, for it has told me that he is very cunning. See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they rose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness, a man in the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. And so now let's turn to Psalm 28. So David, most likely now in the wilderness, being pursued, surrounded by rocks, in the quiet, the desolation of the wilderness, David uh, pens this song, this cry as a desperate man uh, to his God. Psalm 28. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord. For he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, we thank you for these words of encouragement tonight. You are the, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Lord, the, the God who answered David in his time of need is a God who is ready to hear and answer us in, in our need. And so we come to you tonight and ask for your blessing. Give us, Lord, ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in a, a situation... <clears throat> where you felt completely uh, helpless, where you, you prayed, not as you normally pray, but with, with real desperation. That's the prayer that we have here in Psalm 28. It's a desperate prayer uh, raised up by a desperate man. Uh, and one of the, the maybe surprising things for God's people, <clears throat> particularly if you've grown up in the church, but, but what, maybe regardless... Um, is the times where God seems to be far away. 
uh, the times that God doesn't seem to be responding to us, and when, when we find ourselves in a situation that it's very difficult, difficult for us to imagine that this is God's purpose, this is his plan, this is how it was supposed to happen. I think most of us grow up with um, some sense of self-confidence. We, we, we hope we're not cocky, but as we're young, we have our mind, we have our abilities, we have our work ethic, we have our network of friends and family, and, and we have a sense that we're going to be able to handle about whatever comes down the pike. But then as the years go along, God uh, in his wisdom will usually, almost in every, in, in, in every person's life, at least once, if not multiple times, God will bring experiences that shatter that self-confidence. <clears throat> He'll bring an experience where you realize how helpless you are, how desperately needy you are. Maybe it'll be a financial crisis <clears throat> where um, the unthinkable in some sense has happened. You've lost your job or there's been some tragedy and, and you are, uh, you're broke. And you, 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 you might lose your money, you might lose all your possessions, you might lose your reputation. That's what it's come to. Maybe it's a, it's a health crisis of you or, or someone you love, and, and you know there's nothing you can do to fix it. You simply have to wait on the Lord. Maybe it's a relationship issue. If, if you are a parent, you will experience times of profound helplessness. As you see your child struggle with something uh, that you can't fix, you can't change, uh, all you can do is pray. Uh, parenting seems to be uniquely designed to teach people uh, to pray desperate prayers like Psalm 28. Well, David is, is uh, in an, a, a desperate crisis. And one of the, the beautiful things about uh, psalms in, in a psalm like Psalm 28 is, is that in David's um, desperation, as David prays and cries out to the Lord, we, we find words that we can use. And, and we, we recognize that our experience isn't unique. This is the way uh, that God deals with his children, children that he dearly loves. And that in these times of desperation, as we, as we read the Psalms and, and read uh, the psalmist's personal testimony of his, uh, of his grief, his concern, his sorrow, his, his desperation, we can find words that we can lift up for our own. And we find that also then as David experiences God's answers to prayer and gives praise to God, uh, we're reminded that, that David's God was good and faithful. And David's God is not just David's God. He's Israel's God. He's uh, the church's God. He's, he's our God. And he will be willing and able to help us. Tonight, we're just going to look at the psalm under verses 1 through 5 and see David's prayer. And then his praise, verses 6 and 8. And then his concluding a prayer and plea for God's people. David's prayer, verses 1 through 5, first notice it's just a prayer to be heard. To you, O Lord, I call my rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. He's out in the wilderness, either of Ziph or Maon. Uh, he's, he's at the rock. There are rocks all over the place. Think Southwest uh, USA, New Mexico maybe, uh, Arizona. But it's deadly quiet, nothing but the wind. Uh, he, he cries, he maybe yells at times in frustration. The rocks are dumb, they never respond. It's just silence. And David cries to God, Lord God, uh, to you I call, you are my rock. 
And I need you to hear me. Don't be silent. I need you to, I need you to hear my cry. Don't be deaf to me. Because if you are, if you do not respond to me, I will be like those who go down into the pit. If, if you don't answer me, I'm lost. I'm dead. David's strength has run out. He, he doesn't have a, a, a plan B. He needs help, and he needs help now. There's absolute desperation here. I don't have any other hope. I don't have any other help. Saul is after me. He's hotly pursuing me with thousands and thousands of men. God, my rock, to you I call. Hear me. Answer me. Respond to me. I don't have any other help. Charles Wesley has captured that, that uh, sense of helplessness and, and desperate neediness in his song, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. Other refuge have I none. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. Leave, oh, leave me not alone. Still support and comfort me. All my trust on thee is stayed. All my help from thee I bring. Cover my defenseless head with the shadow of thy wing. I wonder if God has brought you to that place in your Christian life. It's a, it's, a, it's a very painful place. It's a very hard place, and it's a very good place. When you realize that you, you really don't have any other help, your, your plans, your abilities, your strategies, your, your efforts are utterly of no avail, that uh, God and God alone is the God who can rescue you and help you and deliver you and save you. And if he does not do that, then you will not be saved. You will not be helped. You will be lost. You will go down into the pit of death. We honor God when we cry to him with that sort of desperation. But David does not pray only for, uh, to be heard. He prays for justice. Notice verses 3 and 4 particularly. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. And David's been betrayed. Maybe he's thinking here specifically of the citizens of Keilah. And they were so thankful when David came and rescued them from the hands of the Philistines. And they showered praises on David. We love you, David. Thank you so much. Whatever we can do for you, just let us know. And then uh, David heard that Saul uh, might be on his way. And so David asked, will, will, will the men of Keilah give me up into the hand of Saul? Will they betray me? And, and God says, yeah, yeah, that's what they'll do. So they, they speak, right? They're big buddies, uh, but there's evil in their hearts. And David and his men are forced to flee. Here's a town that he literally saved from the Philistines at his own risk. And now so easily they turn their, their back on him. And betray him to Saul. The same for the Ziphites. Uh, the Ziphites are of the tribe of Judah. They're, they're supposed to be on David's side. David's, David's of the tribe of Judah. Uh, if anyone would be loyal to David, it ought to be the, the, the Ziphites. And yet, uh, not once, but twice, they voluntarily go to Saul and say, um, how about we tell you where David's hiding? 
We find that in chapter 23, the Ziphites went up to, the, to Saul at Gabeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horish on the hill of Hakilah, which is south of Jeshimon? Chapter 26, they do exactly the same thing. They came to Saul and saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakilah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? Voluntarily offering him up. Boys and girls, have you ever played hide-and-seek, maybe, and you had a little brother or a little sister who maybe didn't quite get the rules, or either uh, they, they didn't quite understand the rules, or they perfectly understood the rules, and they were just out to, to make your life miserable, but they would uh, happily point out where you were hiding. You found the perfect spot, and you were sure that you were safe, and then little brother or little sister comes along, and he's right here, she's right there. It's very frustrating. It mucks up the whole thing. Well, that's what David experiences, except it's not a game. It's life and death, not just for David, but for all of David's men and all of their families. There's 600 men and then all the wives and children that would be associated with them. That's what's on the line here. So what should David do with these Ziphites? What should he do with the people of Keilah? I'm sure that some of his men had very clear ideas on what David should do with them. David should bring vengeance upon them. If that's how they're going to treat him, uh, David should respond. After all, he's God's anointed king. He's the Lord's chosen one. In, in opposing him and betraying him, they're opposing God. And I'm sure that David had counsel. But David does not do that. <clears throat> he does not take vengeance. He leaves vengeance to God. He does ask for justice. But notice, there's, it's just justice he's asking for. Give them according to their work. That's justice. Give them according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands and render them their due reward. Now that's a strong prayer. Is it a Christian prayer? Is it okay for Christians to ask that God would give justice to people? Well, yeah, it very much is. It's not, a, it's not inappropriate to, to ask God for, to bring justice. There's evil in the world and, and, and people who, who genuinely do oppose God. But you see, it's, it's exactly because we can ask for justice that, that God would bring justice, that we can be um, free of bitterness, no, no desire for vengeance on our part. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We give it over to him. We're free to love our enemies but, but because we know that the justice issue is going to be taken care of, we don't have to execute justice. We can pray that God does that, and God will do that, and he'll either do that as he brings people to confess their sins and come under the justice that was poured out on Jesus Christ, or God will do that as he meets people on the last day according to the work of their hands. But justice will be served, and it's not inappropriate to ask for it. In fact, the saints in heaven, Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Justice is a God-honoring thing, and God will, will carry it out, and David's not wrong then in asking for it. It's a believing prayer, and David's trusting that God will do it. He doesn't need to, he doesn't need to take it in his own hands, and he doesn't need to have a, a, be bound in bitterness and anger because of it. It's in God's hands. He puts it there. He leaves it there. 
And he's confident that God will do what is right because they do not regard the work of the Lord or the work of his hands. And so David's, the, the, the psalm, the first few verses then come to a close. Uh, he's desperate. He's been hounded. He's been betrayed. He's, he's given himself to the Lord, Lord, hear me. And then the tone changes dramatically in verse 6 as we come to David's praise. And I think there's probably a period of time here. This isn't just um, David writing this desperate prayer and then just claiming by faith. What what we find here in verse 6 is um, past tense. He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Not he will hear. That's true. But David here is specifically saying, blessed be the Lord. He has heard I cried and he answered. How did he answer? Well, if, if, uh, if 1 Samuel 23 is, is the context, well, God intervened in, in, a, in a miraculous way. Uh, David and his men were on the run. Saul was after them. There's a, there's a hill there in the, the wilderness of Maon. It's a mountain. It's, a very, it's sort of a ridge, actually. And, um, and the commentators believe that Saul was making his way down both sides. David's here. Saul's here. But, there's, but, but David is trapped. He's trapped in, in that there's no way out of this. Uh, Saul has way too many men. Maybe 10, 20,000 men. David's got 600. And notice in the text that Saul was closing in. David was, and his men are, are running, trying to get away. Saul is closing in. And just when Saul is about to, to capture David, a, a messenger comes. Saul, what? The Philistines are attacking. You see, God had sovereignly maybe weeks beforehand, maybe months, who knows, but, but God had put it in the mind of a Philistine somewhere in, in the, the, the ruling class or whatever, some general, say, what we need to do is wait for a time when Saul is distracted, when Saul and his men are away from Gibeah, and when they're away, we're going to attack. And so Saul and his men go away, and the Philistines say, now's the time, and the forces are ready, and they're on the move, and they're attacking. God had orchestrated the whole thing. And exactly when David needed help, God intervenes in a miraculous way and he rescues David. He's got the whole world in his hands. And so we're told that this was called the rock of escape. The rock of escape, what a wonderful Run a wonderful title. David professed the Lord as, as his rock and, and God provides him the rock of escape. And David therefore professes his delight in God. Blessed be the Lord. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. Notice how personal this is. My strength, my shield, my help. I will trust in him. True religion is deeply personal, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a profession, not just that God is and does certain things, but that God is and does those things, has done those things for me. He's not just a savior, he's my savior. He's not just a shield and a strength, he's my shield. He's my strength. He's my song. I hope that's your confession tonight. I hope that's, that's, that's your story. 
Because the doctrines of God, you see, won't be a help to us until God, we're, we're convinced God's our God. The, the, all the truths about his, his truth and His grace, His power, His wisdom, His love, will only bring peace and comfort to you when you can lay hold of God and say, this God is my God. Not just the God, not a God, but my God. He has personally taken my life in his hands. I actually live under the shelter of his almighty wings. It's deeply personal, but it's not private. One of the joys of being a Christian is that our experience of deliverance is an experience shared by all of God's people. And David then in verse 8 immediately goes to that communal sense. The Lord is the strength of his people. He's the saving refuge of his anointed. It's not just David's story. This is the Christian story, the believer's story. The Christian faith is a communal faith. We share this together, that, that, that we have the same God, the same salvation, the same uh, wonderful story to tell about God's deliverance. And David doesn't want us just to see his experience here. He wants us to know this is your experience if you're a child of God. This is what God is for you. He's not just my shield. He's your shield. He's not just my strength. He's yours. David wants us to see that this God is our God. Our God. And he promises to do these things for us. And so he, he closes the psalm with this wonderful, joyful plea. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. As David reflects on his own weakness in his desperate moment and, and remembers God's saving help in his time of need, he remembers that, that all of God's people need this. Isn't it true that when you suffer, you, you suddenly become so much more aware of the sufferings of other people? And maybe you're somewhat ashamed to realize how blind you were to the suffering of other people. Now, and you say to yourself, now I, now I understand what it must have been like for so-and-so. When they were going through that really hard time. I just didn't have, I didn't have any sense how hard that was for them. And, and, but now I know. There's something about suffering that creates its own fellowship. Its own community. And David in, in his experience of suffering experiences that. And he longs for those who are suffering. He longs for those who are in def desperate places. That God would, would do this for them. That God would be their shepherd. That he would... Watch over them and keep them and carry them forever. It's such an intimate expression. Carry them in your arms, God. They're weak. It's hard. They get lost. They wander off. They fall into times of temptation. They, 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 they come into periods of deep despair. God, your people won't make it unless you help them, unless you carry them. And so David's heart is exactly this. Lord, carry them, Lord. Carry your people through this veil of tears. Carry your people through the valley of the shadow of death. Carry them home, Lord. Carry them home. Carry them forever. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a pastor's prayer. It's exactly what I pray that God would do. There's something, I was just talking to someone this morning about the trials um, that Brenda's going through this week and and the Chup family is walking a hard road. And there are others in the congregation um, who have heavy burdens. 
And as a pastor, I, I can't fix any of it. And, and I, you know that, and I know that. But, but isn't it wonderful to, to have the confidence that there is a shepherd who cares for his people, and he's going to carry them. He's going to carry David Chubb home. David's going to be safe. And, and as a shepherd, it's its 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 own joy to have that confidence and then watch God do exactly that. And he's going to carry Brenda and her family. They're not going to be lost. They're not going to fall away here. God is a faithful shepherd. He's going to carry you. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the heartache, no matter what the crisis might be, there is a shepherd who knows your name. He knows exactly the situation that you're facing. And he's going to carry you. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it. This is a parent's prayer. If you have, if you have children, maybe who are wandering from the faith, or, or children who are um, sick, or just some particular heartache, the hardship that they have. It's good to, to point our, our children to a shepherd who knows them, a shepherd who loves them, a shepherd who's able to carry them. What's the confidence? How come David's so sure of this? Well, I think the confidence is in verse 2. We'll just wrap quickly with that. Notice in verse 2. David said, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. See, that, that's ultimately the rock that David looks to. That's the source of his confidence, that there is a place where God dwells. There's a, there's a tabernacle, there's a, and, and there's an ark there in the most holy place, and God dwells there between the cherubim of the ark. And there's a mercy seat where the priests carry out their service once a year. They, they, they spill the sacrificed blood on the ark, uh, the covering of the ark, and, and it atones for the sins of the people so that God's people have access to a holy God through sacrificed blood. And there's a, there's a covenant contract in that ark written by God's own hand. And in that contract, it has these words, I am the Lord thy God. And I brought you out of the bondage of Egypt. A contract where God claims Israel as his very own people and, and promises to be their God. And that's the confidence. That's why David turns towards the holy sanctuary. God is there, and there's sacrificed blood there, and there's a contract, a covenant document where God promises with covenant oath to be Israel's God. And friends, we have that confidence in so much more. To turn towards the holy sanctuary today is to lift your eyes to Jesus. God is there in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ has carried out the priestly activity of, of shedding sacrificial blood so that a way has been opened by his own body so that there's a throne of grace now where you and I can go. And at that throne of grace, there's a covenant contract sealed with the blood of Jesus Christ where God himself promises, as you come in the name of Jesus Christ, God will be a God to you. God will be a God to your children. God will hear you. You can have absolute confidence. And therefore, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, therefore, let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who seated at the right hand of God, all authority and power belong to him. I don't know what crisis you're in. I don't know what crisis you're going to be in. God knows. 
He's ordained every bit of it according to his own sovereign wisdom. According to his infinite skill, he will work that experience in your life to give you a fresh vision of his goodness and his faithfulness. But friend, whether you're in it now or, or, or in, the, in the years to come, Psalm 28 is it's a wonderful psalm for you. Hear me, O Lord, to you I call. Do not be deaf to me. And you can have the confidence at some point you're going you're gonna to say with David, blessed be the Lord. He has heard my voice, the voice of my pleas for mercy. He's been my shepherd. He's carried me safely. And he will to the end. May God grant it. Amen. Oh God, I thank you. We are weak people. We're mortal people. We get scared, we get anxious, we get depressed. We find ourselves, Lord, sometimes bitter, sometimes hopeless, unbelieving, cynical, skeptical. But Lord, none of that is faith. I thank you, O God in heaven, that you are a God who is not deaf and dumb. You're God who hears. You're God who's close at hand to those who are in trouble. Oh God, some of us tonight need to believe this and receive this so that our souls are comforted and the bitterness is dispelled and the despair is lifted. We need to have hope. And you've given us such wonderful reasons for you are a saving God. So, Lord, lead us to that rock that's higher than, than we are. May our soul take comfort there as we abide in the shadow of the Almighty, as we rest in your promises, as we, as we take up Jesus Christ and all the promises that are yes to us in him. And, Lord, then as our, sh our shepherd, lead us safely and gently home. Lead us safely home. Father, I pray that for those tonight who are in particular times of, of need, hear their cries. Answer, Lord, in your time, in your way. And may we celebrate then your goodness together. For you are our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.